0: The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Hey, we celebrate this first advent um, of the Son of God, a point in history. I want you to remember a point in history that brought us the Prince of Peace, who not only purchased our peace with God, but who is our ongoing Peace, the one who gives you something that surpasses all understanding. That will be from our text. So let's pray. Let's seek the peace of God together. Jesus, we look to you as the Prince of Peace, as the one who said, My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so our times may be troubling, they may be fearful, but when we look to you in faith, there's a peace to be found. So Jesus, we pray to you. We recognize that you are the Prince of Peace. We look to you for peace in our lives. Peace because you are sovereign. Peace because you have shown us grace. Peace because your coming is at hand and you will make all things right. Father, we look forward to your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we wait, as we endure the various storms that rage around us, we look to you in faith. Lord, please grant us this peace as we consider your word, as we hear from you and are assured by you, our hope is in you. And this is our peace. Help us to see, help us to experience this, we pray in Jesus' name for the sake of your glory. Amen. Okay, Philippians 4, 4 through 7, a favorite passage uh, for many of us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the Word of God. And this is a a favorite passage, like I said, of many. We long for... Uh, Verse 7, right? We long for verse 7. We long for having that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. For an experience of peace. Uh, And I imagine that we long for it because we tend to feel the opposite of peace. We feel war. We're at war because there are various circumstances and maybe people that we can't control. And that's what it comes down to. You can't control it. Maybe say that with me. I can't control it. No. Uh, We feel at war. And we're at war because of these circumstances. We're at war with our own selves even. And when we don't counter these various wars with faith, we're only left with a sense of, what are you left? You're left with worry. You're left with an anxiety. So if your happiness depends upon you and your ability to control, then, yeah, what choice is there but to worry? Of course we'll worry. And it feels like our experience, especially in uh, these holiday seasons, our experience tends to be the opposite of peace. We're reminded of the battles that we can't control. Little things, like just driving in traffic is war. Shopping at Walmart during Christmas is foolish and war. Um, not wanting to disappoint anyone. Getting that, that special item, it creates a sense of turmoil anxiety in us. Life is a battle. And those things are insignificant and small, and some of you might be thinking to yourself, I wish those were my problems, that these kinds of battles were all I had to deal with. But instead, you're dealing with things like abandonment, and shattered dreams, and chronic pain, and disability, dread of loss. We're at war with our surroundings. We're at war within our own souls. And what we crave is peace. I like this passage in Philippians because not only are we promised peace in verse seven, we're also told how to receive it. Verses four through six, well, they lead to verse seven. Verse seven and the promise that our minds can have this sense of Assurance and calm that our hearts can have peace and be guarded in the Lord. Not because the troubles uh, are just quickly dealt with and they vanish, but because our hope is in the Lord. Because our faith is in who He is and His promises to us. Because we know that no matter what, He's with us. In these verses, we're given four instructions that lead to peace. But uh, before we look at these verses together, I'm going to ask you to do something that I haven't asked you to ever do before. And I know this is going to be difficult for some of you, those of you with kids, because you don't know what's going to happen. Lose control a bit, close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes, and I just want to read God's word to you. Take a deep breath, let it out, and meditate on God's word. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Again, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. In hope. Okay. Go ahead and open your eyes. Here's what these gifts of God tell us about peace. Second Thessalonians 3.16. I love the description given there. The Lord of peace. The master of peace. It makes me think years ago I had... um, I had some defective water pipes in my house. Apparently during the construction it was so old they, they recalled the pipes at, at years after my house was built. I had these defective pipes under my house. And, and one day years ago, I heard a certain sound. kind of smell moisture. And I realized that the sound was coming from under my house. And so I went out to the crawl space Opened things up and I looked and confirmed that yes, there was a pond under my house. There was a flood, and I knew enough to you know to to go out to the water main to turn that off. I knew enough to figure out I, I got to get some kind of a pump and get this pond out from underneath my house. Um, and it's interesting how much you take indoor plumbing for granted. <laughs> When you're without it for days, it's like, oh, that doesn't work too. I can't do that. Now I have some um, appreciation. And I, you know, I have some limited abilities. I can, I can fix, I've, I've fixed some broken pipes. I can do that. Uh, but I don't have the skill to replace all of them. And that's what really needed to, to happen. I, I, What I needed was not a do-it-yourselfer, a YouTube video, instructional video on doing this, or some confident amateur to come in and help. What I needed, I needed the Prince of Plumbing. I needed the Lord of Pipes. I needed the Master of such things. And when when my Savior finally arrived and started the work there is a sense of relief there is a sense of peace yes even after getting a big bill it's worth it to have your to know that it's done right that it wasn't me trying to figure it out there's peace in in this sense of confidence knowing that that Someone who masters this is at work. The plumber's presence is peace for that particular problem. And Jesus is the incarnation. He is the presence. He is the embodiment of peace at all times in every way. He is the ultimate answer to all of the problems that that make us feel like we're drowning. He's the Lord. He's the master of peace. He is the giver of peace. And he gives us peace, or it's available to us, not not sometimes, but at all times, and in every or in, in a variety of ways. We have his peace because he, who is peace, is always with us. So with this in mind, We should remember that we always have access to peace, to what you crave. Unlike the plumber, Jesus wasn't going to schedule us out two to three weeks. And this isn't to say that the practical problems of our lives are instantly fixed, but his presence in the midst of them is an assurance that guards our hearts and our minds. Okay, but here's our problem. Our problem is we know that we don't always experience peace. We don't always feel at peace. And what this tells me is the problem is not with Jesus, who is always with me, who is always wanting to give me peace. So the problem must be with me. The problem must be with us. And so we must be intentional in seeking out and receiving what Jesus really wants to give us. Romans 5.1, one of the passages I read to you, tells us of another kind of peace. Because Jesus not only gives us peace in the circumstances of life, but most importantly, He is the one who has made peace between us and God. So in light of forever... Who cares about an earthly sense of ease and comfort? Who cares about short-term life where, where you have everything that you could possibly want? You could have riches, no worries, good health, satisfaction at your work. You could have just fulfillment and helping people. You can have the love of friends and family. But what good are these things, these temporary things if you're not right with God? If you don't care about him, if if you don't give him the praise and the thanks that he deserves? What does it matter if you're separated from him and ultimately at war with him, an enemy of God, because your sin has created this division, a division that one day is going to be an eternal division, as he holds you accountable for your sins and justly sends you to the hell that you deserve. Jesus put it this way. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So let's begin with the most important piece of all, our peace with God that affects forever. And the great thing about having peace with God is that it affects our outlook. It affects our today, our peace in the here and now. And so we can experience peace in the things that, well, the things that don't go our way. We can experience peace in the midst of loss. We can experience peace in the middle of suffering because we know that God is with us and for us and promises to work all things for our good. It's the really the best of both worlds, knowing that you are at peace with God because Jesus has justified you and that God is with you and at work in your life. So if you know and love Jesus, there is no, really, there is no future dread. There's no future dread because truly knowing, repenting of our sins, turning to Jesus in faith means that we're no longer enemies with God. And that most important peace, the one that affects forever, is ours in Christ. And yet, why aren't we experiencing peace? Isaiah 26.3 tells us that the peace given to us has to do with our trusting God and keeping our minds stayed on. Keeping our minds stayed on or sustained unrelentingly, continually, persistently trusting him. So now we get a sense that peace requires a bit of of focus, intentional effort on our part. It's a bit of a a paradox that you need to fight for peace. You need to make a lot of effort. You need to fight for peace. The Lord of peace is available. His schedule is always wide open. In fact, He's not only available, but He's dedicated all of His time to us. He's not too busy with someone else's problem. He's he's right there for each of us because He loves us. And He's able. He's able to care for all of us. And He will keep us in perfect peace when we trust Him. In faith. If you keep your minds stayed on, focused on, Thinking on, meditating, believing on Him. Psalm 29, 10 through 11, another passage I read to you says, He is Lord, the maker and sustainer of all things. He is Lord over the flood in your life. He is the sovereign. He is the sovereign and good King over the broken pipes the drowning circumstances of your life, over the things that overwhelm us and remind us that we can't really control anything. He's Lord over all. And He doesn't simply come to the rescue, but He intends all of these circumstances for our good. And when we know this truth, how many times... I go to that passage, Romans 8.28, all the time. I cling to that. We need to cling to that realization. Every every single circumstance is ordained for your good. It doesn't mean that the evil is good, but God is working. When we know the truth of that and hold on to it, there's, there's a strength that's given to us. There's a blessing in His... In his peace. And this is the reality of who he is. And so we need to remind ourselves of this truth. We need to keep our minds stayed on him. Trust in the one who is enthroned. The one who is king. The one who is sovereign over the circumstances that we don't like. You can trust him in your diagnosis. You can trust him in the problem of the pain of abandonment. You can know that He sits enthroned over our government and all of the things that tempt you towards fear and frustration and anger and turmoil. John fourteen twenty seven. Jesus specifically, the one whose birth we celebrate, the Word made flesh, He promises to give His peace to you. Not a worldly assurance, but an assurance that says, don't have a troubled heart. Don't be afraid. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. He's wonderful. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the Almighty God. He is our eternal life. He is our Prince of Peace. So with this in mind, if you want God's peace, if you want a peace that transcends mere human intellect that's beyond you figuring out the how and the why of life's circumstances, if you want a different kind of peace and assurance that no well-meaning person is able to provide in, in and of themselves, in their abilities, then rejoice in the Lord always. We'll go back to Philippians 4. Then rejoice in the Lord always. If we express joy in things like, Let that joy be in the Lord. If we express joy in things like the outcome of a game before it even starts, or a job before it's even offered to you, or a plan that, you know, I'm going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. If we rejoice in what we only expect and really don't know for sure, it's arrogant. And God's word tells us you don't know what tomorrow will bring can't control it your life is a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes instead you ought to say if the lord wills we will live and do this or that and the point is rejoice in what god who god is and what he's promised you what he's given to you it's not just rejoicing in and of itself it's not just it's not rejoicing in the things that you assume that you can control that's boasting No, we rejoice in the Lord and not rejoicing. Think about that. Not rejoicing in what He's actually given us. What is that? Well, that not only misses out on an opportunity for real joy which leads to peace, but it's ungratefulness. It's communicating a lack of appreciation or maybe a sense of entitlement. A denial of His grace. So we need to open our eyes. We need to... to, be the, to um, know the blessings of God that are ours, the promises that we know will be ours. We need to open our eyes to the fact that all of these are given to us, that apart from God, we can do nothing. And so we rejoice in Him always. We rejoice when there's a victory. We rejoice when there's a healing we rejoice when there's a success or a blessing we rejoice in the things that God has given to us in this life and in doing so we rejoice in him we rejoice in the Lord rejoice in his incarnation rejoice in the word became flesh and dwelt among us rejoice in his sinless origin in His sinless life, in His teachings and comforting assurances to us. Rejoice in His care for us, in His humble sacrifice for us. Rejoice in His resurrection that gives us hope, hope in the defeat of sin and death. Take joy in His ascension, that He is your perfect High Priest who actually knows what it is to be human, And what a wonderful thing that is. Rejoicing in His humanity. Rejoicing that He's sympathetic. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows human weakness. And He's gentle with us because of it. He intercedes for you. And He's coming again for you. Oh, there's so much to rejoice over. And not take for granted. There are times, yes... When we don't see any good, when we don't understand why God is doing what he's doing in our lives, and we don't feel happy about the things that are going on, what do we do then? Well, we, we rejoice in the knowledge that he does all things well, that he sits enthroned over every flood, every circumstance of our lives. So even if we don't understand, even if we can't find anything particularly good, practically speaking, in a situation, isn't He worthy of our trust? And in that we rejoice. Isn't He worthy of our praise and hope and happiness? And so shouldn't we rejoice in this, in who He is? Shouldn't we rejoice in Him always? And and when we realize this and we say yes... It's interesting that Paul says, okay, then he repeats himself. Yes, rejoice. And again, I say, rejoice. It's that important. A second instruction for peace is found in verse 5 of our text. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonableness. What is it? Let your, some translations say, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let everyone see that you're, that you're a kind and humble and forbearing person. Have a reputation for showing God's grace. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that be great? That's the expectation here. Or this is something that we ought to strive towards that ought to be evident in our lives, and it will lead to peace. Have a reputation of being a gracious, gentle, kind person. And of course, there's a there's a practical instruction there because if that's how you relate to people, you're going to have peace with with people. It's going to have an impact on your human relationships. There's going to be peace instead of conflict. And yet, um, some situations are really difficult. And Paul isn't telling you to be some pushover, to be spineless, and to not stand for what's right, to not care about. Injustices. That's not the point. He's not telling you that. He's telling you be like Jesus in the midst of however you deal with that situation. Be like Jesus. Jesus had some conflicts. Be patient. Be humble. And in that sense, um, Jesus was reasonable. He was gentle. He was patient. He was gracious. And we need to remember the context of Philippians. Philippians 2 tells us, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that we may be blameless and innocent children of God, shining as lights in the world. Remember that Philippians 2 tells us to humbly count others as more significant than ourselves. To be like Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's our context. There is a gentle strength, a confidence in knowing who you are. And this, this is really helpful because our tendency is is the opposite. Our tendency is pride. Our tendency is to be overly concerned with what people think of us. And so much of our lack of peace, so much of our anxiety really is related to that. Overly concerned with what people think of us. Pride. If you know you're in Christ, if you know that you're loved by Him and promised life and eternal blessing and that He's working all things in in this life for your good, then we'll know that the battle ultimately belongs to the Lord. And that even our losses, even our pain, even these will lead to a final, a greater, glorious victory. So doesn't this kind of confident, reassuring knowledge enable us to make our arguments with people in a gentle and kind manner? How does this affect our attitude in our dealings with people? When we know that God knows, God sees, He'll deal with injustices, He'll deal with lies. He'll either show grace to our enemies, as He did to us, or He's going to hold them accountable. That's the truth of it all. So when you know that nobody gets away with anything, doesn't this enable us to be gracious? Because everyone we deal with is either going to pay a terrible price that you wouldn't wish on anyone or they're going to be forgiven as you have been shown mercy and forgiven. And this kind of attitude should either change the atmosphere to peace or it should give us an inner sense of peace. Knowing that God sees, knowing that the decision of vengeance or the decision of mercy is His. A third instruction for peace is to remember that the Lord is at hand. And now these instructions, they begin to connect because um, the Lord is at hand in relation to how I treat people. The Lord is at hand in relation to what follows and not being anxious. Yes, both. They connect. The Lord is at hand. connects. It connects our attitude towards others to not get so caught up in the things of the world that we forget Jesus is coming again and he'll deal with these ultimate and eternal things. And it also connects with not being anxious about anything because we remember that his coming, well, it might be today. And if that's true, then that's probably going to change our perspective on everything. The Lord is present. He is with us. And this gives us a sense of peace. And when we live as if another Advent is at hand, then the worries of life, the irritations of people are brought into a different light. And if you want the peace of God, well, rejoice in the Lord. Be known for His grace. Live in light of His second coming that this will mean for what this means for those who belong to him, those who don't belong to him. And fourth, a fourth instruction for peace is found in verse 6, which says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's a lot there. I'm going to combine it, pack it into one ultimately dealing with our prayer. If you find yourself in a position, think about just in positions of giving counsel. We're we're all counselors. We're either good ones or bad ones. But people are always asking for some kind of help. Or we come across people needing help. So if you find yourself in a position of giving counsel, don't read just this first part of verse 6 that says, do not be anxious and stop. And think, well, I'll just tell them to stop it. I'll tell her, don't worry. You're in the middle of a divorce. Well, just stop it. Don't be anxious. Doesn't do much good. Chronic pain, disability, loss of a dream. Well, God's word is not simply saying, stop it. Yes, it does say that we shouldn't be anxious. We shouldn't worry about anything But we're given a good reason. We're comforted with the truth that God is with us. The reason we should not be anxious is that we have access to God in prayer. He invites our humble requests for help. And because of this and the certain hope that He really does see, He really does understand you, that He really is sovereign and good, because of this... We can come to Him with a thankful heart which floods this dark room of worry with light. So when you're in a position of giving counsel, think of yourself as a a messenger of peace, turning on the light of God's sovereign care and with compassion saying something like, you know, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how hard this must be. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's ask for His help. And in that prayer, you thank God for who He is, the joy-producing hope that's ours because of Him, His kindness, His grace to us, His unlimited power to grant our requests, our trust in His goodness to do what is best, and in this time of prayer and asking God for help and thanking Him for His grace, what are we doing? We're casting all our anxieties on the only one who can really, truly help. The only one who really is in control and good. Each of these instructions that lead to experiencing peace, each of them have God at the center. He's at the center of our joy. He's at the center of how we treat others, why we treat others the way in which we do. He's at the center of making all things right when He comes again. And He's truly at the center of every every ordained, anxiety-producing, painful circumstance, using it for your eternal good as He invites us to pray as He invites us to come to Him, as He in, he works to grow our relationship with Him, to humbly ask Him with thanksgiving because He's sovereign over all. So, peace. What is peace? Is it a sense of calm? Is it a lack of turmoil and worry? When Jesus, think of Jesus, when He approached the cross, He prayed, He prayed for another way. He prayed that the Father would remove this cup of suffering. And yet, Jesus was resolved to do the Father's will. He trusted the Father. He obeyed the Father. Clearly, He, the Prince of Peace, was troubled. We're going to face a lot of troubles in life. What do we do with it? Clearly, Jesus was troubled over what was coming. And yet, He went to the Father in prayer. He trusted Him perfectly. And then He purchased your peace. We might describe peace as an emotion of calmness. And yet, when I think of Jesus, it means that peace goes beyond a particular moment and it looks to the ultimate end with a calming confidence. You may be in the middle of a fearful storm, but when you reflect on the joy that is yours in Christ because of His Grace and promises to you, there can be a there can be a simultaneous peace. Doesn't mean you like your situation, but you trust him, and there's a simultaneous sense of peace. The peace of God surpasses the very moment. It reminds you that you belong to him. It assures you of his good purposes, his cert- and the certainty of your hope in Christ. And this, this is the peace of God. This is the peace of God that guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we receive it when we look to Him in faith. Let's pray. Father, as we await the celebration of Christmas Day, as we experience various frustrations and irritations, We ask that you would give us minds that are stayed on you. Help us to focus on you and to have faith in you and to know you. Remind us to fight for your peace in our hearts, to fight for joy. Not taking for granted your many blessings, but instead acknowledging your goodness to us in Jesus, your goodness to us in so many of the small details of life. Make us a people who express this. And as we express this, trusting that that You will give us peace. Father, make us more and more like Jesus. May Your Spirit work in us to bear fruit for Your glory, that that we would be humble, that we would have a reputation for being reasonable, gentle, and gracious. In light of Christ's coming, make us gracious to others and mindful of eternal things so that we might respond to anxiety with faith. Humbly coming to you in prayer. Asking because you invite us to ask. And thankful because, wow, what an incredible privilege. And in doing these things, I ask that you would grant peace to your people that you would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus, who is our Prince of Peace. We pray in his name. Amen.